Welcome to the Ditch the Suits podcast, where we get real about the stuff no one in the financial world wants you to know about. Learn how you can better manage your family's wealth while protecting it from financial exploitation and so-called financial advisors. Here's to your financial awakening. Welcome your host, Steve Campbell and Travis Moss. Well, welcome to another edition of Ditch the Suits podcast. Steve Campbell here with Travis Moss. You know, we've been having a number of conversations about change and the concept of change. Um, Change can be really difficult. Many of us can procrastinate because we don't know where to begin. In our last episode, we talked about this concept of seeing beyond the walls. This was really just a metaphor for being able to see beyond your present circumstances to what your life could be, to cast a vision for it. Part of how we shared that was some through some personal antidotes, some things we've been going through. We are, I'm in the process of relocating. So to me, seeing beyond the walls is in purchasing real estate and trying to see beyond all these properties that I'm seeing what something could be. We had shared a little bit about our business and the expansion efforts that we have, that sometimes we have to see beyond what's right in front of us. But we wanted to park a little bit on this concept because there are a lot of people that are thinking about a big life move, a change, a relocation, a buying a new property. They might be ready to go, or they might have to have some first initial steps before they do some of these things. So we wanted to have a conversation today about if you're thinking about relocating, understanding maybe some of the tools, the nuts and bolts behind what you can do to better prepare yourself for making a big move. Um, so Travis, when people are thinking about this, what's some of the first things that they might want to consider? First, it's a big change for a lot of people. The economy right now, as far as housing goes, is pretty hot. Yep. Housing construction is slow because of supplies. So the price of everything is going up. The price of the houses are going up. A lot mm-hmm. of the destinations where people want to go are becoming more expensive. We work with clients all the time. We're going through it ourselves, you know, different members of our team. Just this transition or this change, you know, you're, you're trying to make the changes that you think are positive, And then you run into these headwinds of the real estate market. And how do you keep that forward momentum going so you don't just throw up your hands and say, hey, I quit? We wanted to give people practical advice. I, you know, we want people to be fearless. We do this every day. We were constantly counseling through these situations with clients, playing devil's advocate, looking at this from a lot of different directions. And so one of the things that always comes up that's, that's almost always overlooked, and I think some of the most absolutely important concepts when we're trying to get our mind around buying property in any market, really, is you have a certain budget for your housing. So there's a certain amount of money that you can spend month in and month out on your residence. And that's, you know, even if you're a business and you're expanding your business, you're getting uh, commercial real estate, there's a certain budget for it. And what you use that budget for is a combination of property taxes, interest, if you're financing, and the actual price of the house itself. So there's some dynamics here that we often overlook. We just look at the price of the house or we just look at the property tax or we just look at interest rates. And we really have to take all three into account because they all chip away at that budget that we're talking about using. I see a lot of people, a lot of times they'll come in and they'll say, okay, where should I be price range on the house? And most of the time, the price range isn't the most important thing. It's the property taxes Mm -hmm. because the property taxes are the part of your payment that goes up every single year. Right. It's the non-fixed part of your housing budget that's going to get you. And you could have a lower cost house in a really high property tax area that costs the same amount as a highly priced house, but in a low property tax area. 
yep. as far as a monthly payment goes. So we want to actually focus more on property taxes. For instance, if you think about, because we get a lot of retirees that are more on income off their investments or, and, and things like that, or the pension, so more fixed income. And to put it in layman's terms to them or to give them some kind of idea that they can kind of grab a hold of and understand what it actually equates to, if the property taxes are about $5,000, that's the equivalent of you needing an extra $100,000 in a portfolio to support just the property taxes. So when you start talking about numbers like that, they go, oh, okay, I get that now. Um, I, I can see how to look at property taxes. Property taxes are a cost associated with the house. State and local taxes are also really important. For instance, if you were to buy a house and move to New York, where you have high property taxes and high income taxes, you have to account for the fact that there might be a change in your personal income before you even pay your mortgage payment because of the state income taxes. So you could be moving potentially from a state, let's say you moved from Florida to New York, you move from a state with zero income taxes to a state where you're probably gonna be paying, you know, on average around 6%. So that's gotta, you know, that's gonna come out of your paycheck. That adds the cost, essentially the cost of your housing if you wanna think about it like that, because it's that much less money that you now have to spend on other things. Right. So the taxes, and, and they're most often overlooked, but the taxes are a big thing. Now, it, it also depends on, on what kind of taxes, because different states get bad reps. New York gets a bad rap as a high income tax state. Actually, for retirees, it's not horrible because they have a pretty good um, retirement income exemption. But for somebody who's working and maybe making you know a decent salary, it can be pretty tax intensive. And then the other thing is, I think right now, Obviously, interest rates. So, mm -hmm. for instance, interest rates are super low now. Um, maybe as low as they'll be in our lifetime, or or in our in our lifetime where we might be buying and selling houses um, right now. As far you know, because by the time it goes through a big macro cycle, we'll probably be in our seventies <laughs> by the time it gets this low again after it goes up, or even older than that. So, we're in this point in history where interest rates are super low, and so if you think about it. If you put interest into the equation and say, okay, if I finance, I have to take interest out of my housing budget, the lower the interest rates, the more house I can buy. The yep. lower the property taxes, the more house I can buy. The higher the property taxes, the less house I can buy, or the higher the income tax, or the not the income, but yeah, with the income taxes too, but the higher the um, interest rates, the lower the amount of house I can buy. So interest rates can change pretty quick, right? Yep. They can change in the course of a, a year or quarter to quarter. So you might be able to afford to buy an $800,000 house today because of interest rates and interest rates pop up. And now all of a sudden you can only afford a $700,000 house. Right. But you could see how, you know, we get fixated on the, on the price of the house for different reasons, mm -hmm. but interest rates and taxes, both property and state income taxes are also really critically important to consider. Yep. When I think you're showing that it's not just as simple as looking at the price of the house, but there's also considerations. Um, the price of the house, yes, is one of them. Uh, opportunity, and as they come up, um, you, interest rates, we want to dive into that a little bit more to really understand how interest rates can affect uh, the overall cost of the home. But then also then how do you go about paying for it, right? There's a lot of ways that people are thinking about what's the best way to pay for a house. We're going to spend the rest of this time in this conversation breaking down each one of these so you can listen as you'd like. Uh, if there's one part that resonates with you more and is a, a particular to your situation, listen to that. 
But I would also say, if you have the time, listen to this whole conversation, because you might pick up something that can have, help you have better conversations if you're married and have a spouse, uh, if you're working with somebody and understanding you know, what's comfortable for you. So we want to take some time to really break down each one of those, because each factor affects the overall process of trying to buy and relocate, especially in a really hot market right now. So as we introduced this topic today, we talked about a lot of people get fixated just on the price of the house, and that's important. But we also have to understand it in context of what we're trying to do. Uh, so Travis, why don't we spend a little bit of time talking about the price of the house and the importance of going through buying a house in this hot market? So it's easy to get fixed on a price because that's that's how you search for a house, right? Mm-hmm. You normally go in and you put a price range and you try to find a house that you're pre-qualified for based on what the mortgage lender said that they will lend you or you know, some other number that you just got stuck in your head. Um, business owners do this all the time. And when, when we look at people who are trying to sell their businesses, they, they have a preconceived number in their head and they just kind of like anchor to it. They won't move. Right. I think when we're selling our house or when we're looking to buy a house, sometimes we get stuck in the same thing. We just talked about how there's like more of a housing budget. It's not so much the cost of the house. Mm-hmm. It's a relationship between the cost of the house, the taxes, the interest, you can even throw in upkeep and utilities have to be figured in there. Yep. But let's put the the price of the house in context and what's happening in a hot market is there's we we most of us innately have an urge to compete. Mm-hmm. So we get in a hot market and we feel like we're gonna miss out the FOMO, fear of missing out. Yep. And we start to stretch because we just, we want to lock something in there. We want to say that we got something. We want to say that we won. And so we either, because we're driven to compete, we either bid on a house that's not the right house Mm -hmm. or we'll upbid and stretch because maybe there'll be nothing else available ever again. Right. And I just don't want to miss out on this one. And that's really not a healthy environment, but it's the environment that, really is created by a healthy market. So if you want to think about the housing market, like the stock market, when people get excited, they bid up the stock market and then the stock market crashes and they lose all their money and they go, well, why did that happen? Mm -hmm. Because you were kind of disassociating your purpose of why you were buying the house in the first place from your desire to say you got something or, or, you know, look at my results. Yep. So we want to stay grounded and really not emotional. So mm-hmm. you're looking at a hot market, you're selling your place, you're buying another one. You've got an idea of how you want this to, to come out. You have to be flexible. I mean, houses right now in a lot of markets, they're coming on the market and they're selling within 24 hours. Yep. So what an emotional roller coaster, you know, if you're taking your time and you're kind of getting emotionally tied to pictures and locations and stuff like that. And then 30 people make a bid and you're not, you know, you're not even close and the house is gone. Yep. You have to be flexible and say, you know, back to that concept of seeing behind the walls, there might be a number of perfect places mm-hmm. other than just this one perfect place for different reasons. For instance, when you're looking at properties, what criteria are you using? So some people use a school district, right? Some people use the style of the house. Some people yep. use a number of bedrooms. You could use something also like the lot's important to me, the location's important to me. 
Um, the house itself is important to me and the price is important to me. So I have four criteria and create a scoring system, right? At one through three, you know, each time, each property you look at one through three, how's the lot? One being the worst, three being the best. Mm-hmm. How's the house itself? One being, I, we're going to have a lot of work there. Three being, it's just absolutely amazing. It's everything I could ever dream of. Yep. And so on. Give yourself like a grounding metrics so that you could say, you know what? That house was a two, which is still good, right? That's above average. It's above average house. I really love it. The location's perfect. Everything I could dream of. And the cost is good. You know, not it's not super cheap, but it's good. And the lot is just, you know, it's a dream lot. It's got a pool and everything. Everything I could want is got on the lot. So do you hold out for the perfect house with the perfect lot with the perfect location with the perfect price? Or do you say, you know, I, I could really, you know, we could do a couple things to that house and we'd be really, really excited to have that house anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the house itself is as nice as that other house, but the other house is way out of town and, you know, there's, it's got a nice lot, but it's, you know, I'm going to have to drive an hour and a half to work each day. Right. Um, so it just doesn't work. So giving yourself some type of metric or some kind of uh, unemotional filter, if you mm-hmm. will, yep. to keep you from getting too high and too low, I think is super important because that'll keep you from overbidding. Yep. Because you'll realize that there's a lot of other stuff out there. Mm-hmm. And you know, you don't have to be afraid of missing out. Things come on the market every day, things go off the market every day. And I think, again, back to the stock market analogy, you have to treat houses like you would treat a stock, which is really funny because normally we're comparing stocks to houses and we're using the analogy to explain you know, the stock market to the housing market to people. Well, in this case, the housing market's hot and we're trying to compare it more to stocks because maybe they can, you know, it creates a better analogy. But think about it like this. When you're looking at the house, are, are you looking at it for a short-term buy? Is this just something that, we're going to be there a couple of years and then we're going to move on whether, yeah. you know, we're starting our career out, we're going to make more money. We're going to buy a bigger house down the road, or we're going to get the kids through school. And then we're going to buy a smaller house and downsize or a ranch or go get a house on a lake. Um, or I just, we're trying to get a house for now yep. and then kind of reassess where we want to be long-term or is it a long-term player? Are you saying that this is this is where I'm, I think I'm going to be for the next 30 years? I can't imagine anything coming up. The kids graduating school, moving away, nothing. There's nothing that could come up that would possibly ever get me to move from here. Right. See what I'm doing now? I'm, I'm, I'm kind of compartmentalizing. When we look at investments, we do the same thing. We look at it and say, is that a short-term investment? Maybe it's a good investment because the price is really depressed and it's a good company, so we know it's going to go up, but I maybe don't want to own it for the next 20 years. Or are we looking at it going, man, I'd love to own that for the next 20 years. It's going to be a good place to be. Yep. And so I think it's okay to put that in perspective like that. And also, you know, equate what you're willing to pay according to that. Do you want to overpay for a short-term stay? No. Is it okay to overpay for maybe, you know, a long-term stay? We're going to talk about that next, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and and just going through this, this is such a unique time uh, in the marketplace right now for real estate because two years ago, a couple of years ago, you would see a house come up on the market and maybe you could offer a lower offer, take your time, walk around, negotiate. There's zero negotiating right now, Uh, depending on where you live in the country and what type of city, if you're more suburban life, whatever it may be, parts, different parts of the country might have slightly different types of markets, but it's the wild, wild west right now. 
and it's emotional. And so we're trying to tell you, don't be emotional, right? That's a, that's a conflict for a lot of people because maybe you're thinking about uh, relocating. This is a big move, a big opportunity. Maybe you have a family, maybe you're married. So there's a lot of other people you have to consider. You know, you can look at these houses online right now and maybe they fit the price point. So you get excited to go see it. But when you show up, there's four other cars sitting and being there outside. You know, you walk inside and you, it's very rare that you have to make big life decisions in 12 minutes of time. You know, you walk into a house and a realtor says, do you love it? Do you want to buy it? And you're trying to just take it in, you know, where you were two years ago, you used to have time. Now you have no time. And now you have people that are willing to waive inspections, willing to waive appraisals. So there's a lot of other players involved in this decision that you're you're trying to make. So it's honorable that you recognize you want your life to change. It's it's honorable that you want something different, but now you find yourselves trying to do that in a really hot marketplace. And you're finding that there's a lot of competing aspects. And I think if we think back to the conversation we just had of seeing beyond the walls and the price of the house. I think when you can be unemotional, it can also allow you to step back. And when you see so many houses, could you maybe get a little bit less of a house that can give you all the same feelings, but maybe you just got to put a little bit of sweat equity into it? Because if you look at a lot of these tools online, you can see what a house is being listed for. And if you check the sale history and you go back one year ago, it's $80,000, $90,000 less. So if there wasn't no major improvements, the house has just gone up because it's a competitive marketplace. Do you want to be coming in and just buying a house that's gone up so much because people are willing to pay that and then potentially overbid for it? So I think as you're talking to people about not being emotional, you really have to tell yourself not to be emotional because again, personally, my wife and I are going through this right now and we're you know looking at houses. It is very easy to feel like you're going to miss out. And when you see, when you look at house after house after house and they come in so quickly, it can be very easy to feel pressure to do something because you've told yourself for so long you want to move. But I think having that scoring system is really helpful for people because you also don't want to negotiate on things that just aren't negotiable, right? You can love the house, but if it's on a cliff, you got to be honest with yourself if you got kids and say, it's an open concept kitchen. It's everything we want, but we're on a cliff. You know, and you can find you find yourself saying things that you would never normally say, like, well, maybe our kids just won't jump over the fence. It's like, wait a minute, back up. <laughs> I know this is a competitive market right now, but let's not also force ourselves into doing things that the moment we get the keys, we would be like, you know what? We should have trusted our gut. But because the market is creating this competitive environment, we reached for something that we knew instinctually wasn't going to work. So I think you just sharing a little bit of that scoring system helps people to, to not be so emotional and something that really is a big emotional, life-changing uh, opportunity for people. And that's kind of this next segment that we're going to go right into talking about opportunity costs and understanding you know, the importance of this move and the opportunity in front of you. So Travis, we want to talk about opportunity cost. What do we mean by that when we say that? Start with a couple of real life examples. Mm-hmm. So one of our clients was buying a property uh, to be closer to family and to be closer to walking trails and nature and all the things that they love. It was the perfect, they actually got lucky, perfect house, perfect location, but the house was really expensive. Mm-hmm. And it was, I mean, it was expensive mm-hmm. and you know, we're looking at the finances, we're looking at the house, we're looking at the the value that they're going to get out of being in that house. Not the financial value, the personal value. 
because we don't always add that up enough. Yep. You know, being able to see the grandkids and do the hiking and all the other stuff that they wanted to do. And let's say that they overpaid for the house by $50,000. I I don't think they did, but let's just pretend that they did. Because I think a lot of people feel like they're in this situation right now. Mm -hmm. They're having to go above budget, uh, potentially, to buy a house. In this case, we looked at the finances and we said, it's not a problem financially. We're not going to be 50 years down the road from here and go, oh my gosh, if we had only not bought that house, we'd have an extra million dollars to give to the kids or something. Right. Because they're also trading the cash for an asset. Mm -hmm. So, and that stays on their balance sheet. So, yes, it's real dollars, but in reality, it was real dollars that otherwise were just hanging out there. Right. So they overpaid, but for them, overpaying was equally, if not more valuable, you know, as at was the experience and the positioning of that house put them in was more valuable than the money. And that is real to a lot of people. That was a long-term move that they made to match their values up with their home. Yep. Um, I have another very good friend who was buying his dream house and they had made an offer and they came back and countered and it was $15,000 more than they wanted to spend. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying to them, so you're going to lose your dream house over $15,000? How long are you going to live there? It was probably you know, at least 30 years. I said, so that's $500 a year. You don't lose your dream house over $500 a year. Think about all the stupid stuff that we spend money on. Yep. Right? And then you think about that and you go, oh, yeah, that's kind of dumb. If you have it, that I'm assuming that you have the money, right? Obviously, if you don't have the money, you can't make an offer on a house you can't buy. Uh, but if you have the money or you have the financial means and, and you know, to do that, mm-hmm. put it in context. If $15,000 extra seems a lot. But in the grand scheme of things, the value that you're going to get out of it, going home and feeling like you're on vacation every time you get you walk through the door, because that's how much you love going into your home. Yep. What is that worth to you? Right. It's probably worth the years of your life, actually. Yep. Right. It's worth a lot. A lot of happiness comes out of that. So I always I always talk to people. I I knew a farmer one time, and uh, we were talking about a financial thing happening, and I said, well, "Why didn't you take the deal?" And he said, "I didn't take the deal because it wasn't change your life money." I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, I'd still have to milk cows every day. <laughs> so unless they don't have to milk cows anymore going forward, I'm not taking the deal. We we're talking about gas leases and stuff like that. but And that, that has always resonated with me. Yep. Is it change your life? Is it? Are you going to have a better life, theoretically, because of this change? And what does that cost? If you can have a better life and it costs you $20,000 more, over the next 15, 20 years, 30 years. That's like two vacations if you have a family. Yep. That's probably worth it. People spend a lot more on ATVs and stuff, and, and all they do is wreck them. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like you gotta you could probably find joy and fulfillment out of that. Um the other thing is, is like some people are stuck in this thing now where it's going the other way. They have their dream home. They have the absolute house that they love. They love their home. They love their neighborhood. It's home. Like it's literally their epitome of home. Somebody rolls along and waves an extra 50 grand in front of them. They're like, yeah, I'll sell my house. There were, then where do you go? Right. <laughs> right. You're leaving the for, for money, right? You're leaving your home for money. 
and, and you have no plan on where you're going next. There are people now that are stuck in this market. They got a premium for their house, yep. but now they can't buy the next house because there's nothing available or it's too expensive. Yep. So it was, it, you know, they left the house that they loved to make a lateral move to essentially the same exact thing if they can find it, if they're lucky. So you have to be careful that not to get carried away because it's the biggest check you'll ever have in your checking account. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to um, sell yourself out on that, especially because when you consider there's this idea right now, and I've talked to a couple of different real estate agents about this, that this is just a, a housing bubble, that the housing prices are going to go up and they're going to crash right back down. They're going to be back down to where they used to be. I'll tell you in rural uh, communities where there's an influx of people and they're pushing the house prices up, that's probably not going to happen. And the reason being in our area of New York, the reason why housing hasn't really appreciated in the last 10 years is because there's no comps, no comparables. There weren't enough people moving into the community, buying houses, forcing the price up so that appraisers will come back and say that house down the road sold for 20% more than this house over here. Therefore, this house is worth more. There wasn't enough of that happening. So houses hadn't appreciated in forever yep. in this community. Now, all of a sudden, a whole bunch of houses have appreciated a lot, not just a couple of houses, not just a splattering, but a lot of houses went way up in price and they sold and they made appraisal. Yep. So, so, so the deal's closed, basically, is what I'm saying. So you have a new threshold where you can say, my house is worth as much as that because that house has appraised and, and I'm selling my house and you have something to compare it to. So it does reset it, especially, you know, for an area that was void of that. If you're a high traffic area, maybe a little bit different because if you just have an influx of people, you know, and an influx of buyers and potentially there's a major employer or something that leave and then you have an exflux, you know, a whole bunch of people leaving that could create the same type of event going back the other way. Yep. So really what you're looking at right now is probably the, 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 if you've ever had goldfish and you dump the food in the, in the tank and all the goldfish go crazy towards the surface and they start attacking the, the food, mm -hmm. that's what this is, is a feeding, feeding frenzy. Eventually everybody's going to be full enough. That it's not a feeding frenzy anymore. There's, there's not 30 bids on every house. Right. And so the prices will stop going up like that. Yep. But it doesn't mean they're just going to start coming right back down. Uh, it just means the trajectory of how fast they're increasing is going to slow down. So I think that you have to be very careful because you also have this thing called inflation. And, and again, coupled with interest rates. So inflation and interest rates tend to go up at the same time. So if a house naturally becomes more expensive because it's more expensive to build houses and interest rates go up, so it costs more to borrow the money to build a more expensive house, you now can buy less house. Yep. So we were concerned about overpaying 50, 60, 70, $80,000 on a house. And all of a sudden the house just became that much more expensive because of interest rates and inflation. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a double-edged sword. So it's a case by case scenario, but I see a lot of kind of broad paint, you know, brush type of discussion about housing prices are just insane and it's going to be a bubble and they're all going to come crashing back down. They will come down in some communities and in some communities, they will stay up. You really have to look at the community yep. because in order for that extreme decrease in prices, you have to have an equal event happening, mm -hmm. right? So if they've been forced up, there has to be a reason why they would be forced down, like people leaving and no buyers. Yep. 
um, and then taking a lot less. But even then, there's that all that room to come down. That can it's yep. like a step system, right? So it kind of resets things. Um, and the, and the other thing that I would say is, I, I think sometimes we can get stuck on neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And this just goes fits into the whole opportunity side of things. We want to be in a certain neighborhood. I have worked with a lot of people that bought a house in a certain neighborhood and over time the neighborhood changed and it's not the neighborhood it used to be and they're no longer happy. Right. So we need to be careful about that as well. So again, it's just, we really need to be thoughtful when we're looking at this stuff that we're not going on Yahoo and finding out the the top five things going on in the housing market and sticking to that. It's yep. it's market specific. Yep. It's not across the board. Everything's happening the same way. Yep. Um, and we need to take into account the fact that money's a utility. And if money can buy you happiness because it gets you, you know, this long-term home and it's worth overpaying for it, mm-hmm. then maybe you go there. Well, there was a couple of things that you you said that I think can help people if they find themselves in the scenario. The first I'll say is, you know, when people talk about uh, housing markets, this is also a really unique time uh, in time that I that I can know of where people are relocating to different states cross country. Um, you know, prior to COVID, I, I think a lot of it was maybe you'd move across town, right? So at least you knew the makeup of your community. Maybe you were going to move to a larger house on the other side of town. Now you have people that are leaving one state to move to another mm-hmm. state and completely relocate which now you have to factor in the makeup of those communities, the economic climate, um, the growth, what's happening or the lack of growth. So that's going to affect too the fact that the housing market is a market. So just like the stock market, you have a consumer on the other side that's willing to pay X for something that you're willing to sell. So when you're talking about comps and you're talking about, will prices come back down? As long as there are buyers on the other side that are willing to pay what someone's willing to list it for, it will keep comps up for a lot of people. And there's a lot of things to factor in too that I think you've really helped me in this process. And this is where I would encourage people to have a professional, a financial planner, a friend, somebody in your corner um, that you can talk to about what you're thinking about. Sometimes when you're uh, married or you're with a significant other and you're trying to make these decisions, you're talking to each other, sometimes at each other so much, trying to talk through things. And maybe sometimes your brains think differently. The way you receive information is different. Um, So you're trying to make big decisions and trying to maybe stretch your budget where maybe the other person doesn't feel comfortable because they're not clearly understanding why it's okay to stretch their budget in one scenario or another. It's helpful to have a professional or a friend that you can share what's going on. And Travis, you've been extremely helpful in this sense because you're not in our story. Yes, you are because you're a friend and, and we care about each other, but you're not a part of my family. So you're just an outsider. You can hear what I'm saying <laughs> and talk to me about, well, guys, think about this. And all of a sudden, you saying the same exact things we've been talking about internally just has a different level of reception, truthfully. All of a sudden, you're like, you know what, Travis, you're right. And maybe that's the same thing we've been saying to each other. So sometimes having an outside voice and somebody that you trust, right? You're not just going to talk right. to anybody, but somebody that you can share what you're thinking about and factoring into, you know, when you're talking about a housing budget, if you have a house that's got a really low property tax and you have to bid a little bit more for a house, you're stretching that money out over the course of a mortgage, right? So $50,000 
on a on a really low property income, maybe not doesn't have as much of an immediate feel as if you're already paying high property taxes and now trying to stretch over that. So also, I think understanding the circumstances and what you're talking about, having a friend, an advocate, a professional that you can share what you're thinking about, because they may be the difference between you actually buying your your dream home, right? Or making that that big value decision to you, because you might talk yourself out of something that you're so close if it's right, that somebody on the outside might say, guys, you can do it, right? Think about this or consider this. And that might be the difference between saying, you know what, we can do this. And it's so funny how we are so emotional in all of this stuff. So I think as I've been listening to you share, there's a lot of practical things that you're sharing. But I also think though, that there's also a lot of applicable things that we can do to maybe step outside of just this moment that we're finding ourselves in and not letting an opportunity slip away that might be right in front of us. And that kind of goes into maybe a little bit of understanding then some of the other pieces that affect us, which are interest rates. So in this next segment, we want to spend a little bit of time talking about interest rates and how they can affect this home purchasing process. So this entire time we've been talking about this concept of interest rates and how it can affect you in the home purchasing process. So let's dive a little bit deeper. Travis, what are some things we need to consider when we're thinking about interest rates? We need to think about the um, value of financing versus the value of using cash or investments Mm -hmm. to buy property. Right. So record low interest rates, super low. You can get mortgages now for under 3%. Your investments are, I'm sure anybody listening to this, if they're invested in their 401k or whatever, they're making more than 3%. Mm-hmm. If you rewind it back to the, the 70s and the 80s, mortgages were like double digits. Talk to people who were buying houses back then or buying CDs. Interest rates were really, really high. In fact, in the early 2000s, they were still, it was still a pretty good mortgage to get a 6 or a 7% rate. Right. Now people are getting like 3.1 and like, man, that's just such a high rate. <laughs> it's it's all in perspective, right? Like, yep. what are you comparing it to? But here's the exercise that I take clients through when we're trying to figure out, should I use my cash to, to buy something or should I get a mortgage or how much cash should I put down on something? Yep. It doesn't matter if you're buying a car or if you're buying a house or buying anything for that matter. It's a function of the interest rates and what you're doing with your money. So yep. for instance... Let's say the interest rate is 3% on whatever you're buying. It doesn't matter what you're buying. The interest rate is 3%. And you've got enough money to buy this thing with cash out of your Mm -hmm. savings account. And what's your savings account making right now? 1%. Well, in that case, if you don't take your cash and just pay this thing off, you are going backwards by 2% a year. Because you're paying 3%, you're only owning, earning a percent. And actually, yep. you're earning a percent, and then you got to subtract out income taxes. So you're not even getting a percent. So you're going backwards every single year. So use your cash, get rid of the debt. Well, let's go the other way. Let's assume that you're an investor, and that money is making 6 or 7%. Yep. And after taxes, you're netting out 4 or 5%. Mm-hmm. That's still more than the 3 so in that case, it's better for you to use the bank's money yep. so that you can keep making money. Yep. Let's go another route too. Let's say your money's tied up in your retirement account. People ask this all the time. Should I take out $100,000 out of my retirement account to pay off this debt for this thing I want to buy? Well, where's your income tax bracket? Are you going to pay 24% plus state income taxes so that you can pay off a 3% debt? 
or buy a car when you could get a zero or a one or a 2% finance rate right. for your credit union? Why would you do that? Why would you pay 24? Because you lose the, the compounding interest on that 24% that you just paid. Mm-hmm. So what we do with clients, we look at the balancing and we say, this is where you're at today. This yep. is adding your purchase. This is adding your purchase using your cash, which isn't making you any money anyway. This is adding your purchase and taking your cash and assuming your cash was going to be invested. Five, 10, 15 years from now, which balance sheet is the better one? Your balance sheet is it's a, it's a combination of everything that you own and the value of that minus everything that you owe, all your debts. That's your balance sheet. It's just yep. listing them all out like an accounting form, right? And then mm-hmm. on the bottom is here's your net worth. So the question is, if you're running this like a money business, you know, if you're if you're really managing your finances well, you're thinking, how can I make a financial decision today that gives me what I want and it improves my financial situation or or puts me in the best financial situation possible years from now? Yep. That's what you're looking at. We tend to get caught up in, you know, some kind of principle or something that we've heard of or some kind of anxiety. And it kicks us out of really thinking about thinking through this logically. Wealthy people, people who really accumulate a lot of money, one of the ways they do it is through leverage. They understand if I can borrow at three and make eight, that's a good deal. Right. So don't be afraid of it. If you have to borrow at 16, I mean, I've seen people borrow on margin on their investment accounts. And they're borrowing at eight plus percent. And you're going, that's not a good idea because what kind of investments do you have to get to consistently beat that? Right. You know, that's a, to beat it enough that it's actually worth it. Mm-hmm. But in this case, with interest rates being so low and you can borrow against a hard asset that's that's that that low. Think about it like this, too. Let's say that you bought a house and you got a mortgage on it and you still have all your investments because you didn't spend it all on the mortgage right. and a natural disaster hits and, and the house is uninhabitable and you have to wait for FEMA or the insurance to figure itself out. You still got all that money in your accounts. Mm-hmm. You can still basically go wherever you need to go until they figure out the insurance on your house. Yep. If all your money's in your house, though, you're you're trapped. There are right. people out there that don't have any money, like really saved up, but they don't owe anything on their house. But if anything ever happened to their house, they don't have enough money to go anyplace else. Yep. So it's it's one of those things where because of where interest rates are right now. And again, in context to how you handle your money, mm-hmm. you're doing a good job as far as risk management and investment management and cash management, then I think that you can really leverage these interest rates. And I think that that helps too when you're thinking about the, just the time value of money and what we were talking about before, potentially housing prices going up. A mortgage today at 3%, and 10 years from now, if their interest rates go up, mm-hmm. it's going to look tiny. Yep. It's going to look so good. Yep. You know, so for that person who's like, oh, geez, you know, I, I just, I don't want to have a mortgage payment, even though they have the money to be able to make the payments. Think about it like that too. I mean, you're just leveraging somebody else's money. The same thing that the banks do with your money when you give them a CD. Um, they give you, you know, a percent on the CD and then turn around and write a 3% mortgage and make the 2% difference. So what we do with a lot of times in that case, somebody says, but I didn't want a payment is you could take an investment account. You could set up an automatic payment out of it right. to cover the mortgage payment. Yep. 
I mean, that's a really easy process to do for you. So for some, and, and, and then what you do is you look at your house as an item on the balance sheet, mm-hmm. not as a separate item over here. No, that's a part of your net wealth. You should look at that as a part of your balance sheet, you know, yep. just like an investment. It's that house is a, it's different than the stock market. So it diversifies you. Um, but it's certainly something that you, you know, will continue to put money into and that you hope appreciates over time. So what's the best way to keep that on your balance sheet? That's yep. that's the thought process you have to have. Well, I think that's such a great conversation too for people to understand. Because again, we go back to the idea that there's a, there's a lot of pressure in moving parts and trying to acquire a property, buy a home. And I think people can get so stuck in this idea of stewardship, which I would encourage everybody to be a good steward of your money. But you know, we did a series of videos last summer uh, called Mythbusters, where we talked about the idea of debt. And people will say, all debt is bad debt. Right, we get these concepts we read, and right, so people think about this idea of I should just use all my cash because I don't want a payment potentially. But what you're talking about is also injecting the idea of financial planning into making good decisions, because we've been leading up in all these conversations about the idea that you operate a money business. If you had a business that you were running and you had a really profitable area of your business, you wouldn't want to take money out of that profitable area because you're going to reduce the ability of the money you can make if you're pulling out of it to go finance you know, or do something different in a different area. So you want to think about too, when you're running your money business, having somebody that you can have these kind of conversations with because it's not a one size fits all. And I think you want to understand what you have the ability to use, which may be different from your neighbor or a coworker. There's not a vanilla one size fits all scenario that you want to find yourself with. And I think that a lot of people are maybe one little small understanding or tweaking of their mindset away from making potentially a really good decision because they just don't know, right? So they'll just say, I don't want a payment, so take money out of my investment account. But as you said, if you don't understand the kind of money you've made on your investment, having somebody have the ability to show you that, all of a sudden you might say, oh, I'm not just taking money out of my investment. I'm taking money out of specific investments that have done extremely well and made me money over a long period of time. Why would I want to take money out of those if I can borrow at a really low rate right now? So sometimes just having somebody show you what's under the hood and what's actually happening can make a really big difference. And so this last part that we want to spend some time on is some maybe some alternative ways to traditional financing. So stay tuned. All right. So in this last segment, we want to talk about maybe some alternatives to traditional financing. Maybe some of these you've heard of, maybe you haven't. So Travis, why don't you share a couple of different uh, non-traditional alternatives people can think about? So it's really overwhelming because there's all these people buying properties with cash. And mm-hmm. and for somebody not in finance, you might be running, running around going, how is it possible that so many people have so much cash? <laughs> like, are there just all these millionaires with millions of dollars of cash sitting around. Monopoly money. They can just swoop in and buy a house and nobody can compete with them. And it's like, how do they do that? Yep. So I wanted to share a couple of the ways that that's happening. So this, this might help other people do this so that they can compete, you know, in the markets that they're looking at as far as at least being able to be considered Mm -hmm. with some of these cash deals, or at least they can understand what's going on and, and how people are showing up with that kind of money. Sure. So there's there's a couple of things uh, that we actually will do with clients. Um, they can one of the methods is securities lending. So they can if you have after tax investments, these are non retirement account investments. You can get credit lines against those. So you don't have to sell the investments and pay all the capital gains and that kind of stuff. 
you so they're basically they open a credit line against their investments without having to sell any investments. Mm-hmm. Um, they take the money and they now can buy a house with cash. So they go buy the property with cash. And then after they purchase the property, they refinance the property, get one of those really low rate mortgages and pay back off the credit line. So they they use that to go to the seller and say, I'm a cash deal. Yep. You know, we can close in a couple of weeks. I'm ready to go. Even though they fully intend to finance, um, they're just going to finance after after the fact. So that happens a lot. That happens actually a really lot. And parents do it for family members, do it for family members. You know, a lot of times parents are doing it for kids or even for themselves. Yep. Um, we have some where they have a house, they're not even waiting for their old house to sell. They'll get the credit line, borrow against the credit line, go buy the house, come back, refinance that house and sell their old house and then put the money back in there, you know, and pay off the credit line and put the rest in their investment account. Mm-hmm. So that's how they're doing that. Uh, another way that they're doing it is they'll take a mortgage out on the first property. So on their primary property now, and they'll, they'll um, use that to buy a second property. Mm-hmm. So we're at least leveraged for the down payment of the second property. So they're they're just kind of moving money around. There's a lot of transactions taking place, but it, it's creating the cash deal so that they can move higher up on the pecking order of acceptance. Because a seller's if if a seller has the opportunity, they're almost always going to take the cash deal. Yep. Less less situations of you know an appraisal falling through, something something happening with the financing, something like that. So yep. it's, it's and it's a quicker close. The other thing is I we've had, you know, clients that they'll lend money to family members. One family member is buying a house, so two family members will lend them enough cash to buy the house. And again, then they refinance and pay the family members back. So so there are ways to kind of move cash around. I don't particularly like unless it's a a, a parent and, and children or really, really, really close siblings or something, the family member part of it. Yeah. Um, because you know, there's no I mean and get muddy. Gotta yeah, get muddy. Yep. Um, but certainly with the securities lending or uh, borrowing from one property, yep. you know, and then refinancing later or just using cash, you know, if you could sell investments, not pay a lot of taxes on them, selling the investments, using the cash and then replenishing it afterwards. But especially in this environment, that's what they're doing. Yep. Um, very few buyers are, are buying with cash and then not refinancing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's uh, and again, it has to do with your investment appetite. If, if you're the type where if you bought with cash and then refinanced and got 80% back out in the house, if you put it in checking, that's a horrible idea. But if you put it back in your stock portfolio, that's been averaging seven, eight, 9% a year, yep. or whatever, that might be a much better idea. And of course you, you need to seek personalized financial advice for this, Yep. but I just want to give people an idea of what's actually happening out there. So, so, I think it puts it in context because when you're when you're out there and you're bidding and you're trying to get a house and somebody comes in with ca- you're like every time you turn around you're like where are all these people coming with cash I don't understand how they're doing it and I've had clients before that didn't understand that that they could be that person with the cash yep. pretty easily I mean they need to set it up ahead of time um, but um, you know that's pretty prevalent that's yeah. a that's a pretty basic concept or strategy in, in house purchasing. Well, and I think just just going back to helping people understand when you when you're talking about non you know traditional retirement accounts, so these would be single or joint accounts that you have. We're not talking about IRAs, Roth accounts. So if you find yourself in a situation where you have a healthy balance uh, in a single account or a joint account with your spouse, 
might be one other thing to talk to your financial provider, you know, financial planner, advisor, uh, just, hey, I heard about securities-based lending. Is that something that I should consider before you ever make that purchase? Um, because as you said, you know, especially if you're a young person out there and you're just trying to buy your first home or second home in this wild, wild west, and it says cash deal, you also find some of those other uh, situations where houses go back on the market and you'll see the notes of financing fell through. So just to somebody that is selling a home, yeah, they would prefer a cash deal because it's cleaner for them. So to go back to that idea, you know, when you had talked about leveraging the money that you had and what keeps wealthy people wealthy is if they have a healthy balance and they're making good money on their investments, they can use a securities-based loan to buy the home knowing that once it's actually acquired, they'll just go back and refinance it. That's a great opportunity for them because they recognize the asset that they have and they're just using the tool to the best of their ability. They're operating their money business in a way that makes sense for them. And I think that's the whole thing that we're trying to have in this conversation with you, that this is a really hot real estate market right now. Um, you know you want change. You want to make a big move. It doesn't mean that you can't just because there's other competitors out there that might be influencing your ability to buy. And it's, you know, you get frustrated that you finally find a home, you make a decision, you put in an offer and you lose the offer. Maybe it wasn't meant to be, but we also want you to understand that there's a lot of components involved in trying to buy a house from your house budget, understanding the three components of property taxes, state and local taxes, but also interest rates. We shared a little bit about the price of the house and what you need to think about in context. We talked about opportunity cost, right? There's a value to having not just a house, having a home and understanding if that is what you are trying to do, that can be an honorable thing but also then interest rates. How do those affect what you're doing? And then lastly, some alternative ways to financing. So we hope that these are uh, some tools that we can give to you to inspire change, to live your best life. It's your money. It's your life. We hope this message resonates with you. And until next time, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for listening. Ready to ditch the suits? Remember, it's your money and your life. For more information, visit seedpg.com. That's seedpg.com. If this podcast has impacted you, we ask that you subscribe or follow so you never miss an episode and be sure to share with a friend.